911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. And this morning, I was able to bring in my good friend, Samantha Williams, to come back in again. If you haven't already, go ahead and check out our last episode where the two of us were discussing travel and just how important it is to be able to allow yourself the grace and allow yourself that time to just be able to disconnect and clock out. And for today's episode, we're going to dive into something quite sensitive. Um, Samantha shared with me that she's a violent crime survivor, and she's willing and forthcoming to be able to dive deep and vulnerable and share some of her story and experience with us. And I would imagine ultimately um, paving, paving a platform to be able to give a voice to other people who maybe don't think it's okay to speak up for themselves. So Samantha, I'm going to just let you take it away wherever you feel comfortable. Sure. Okay. Um, so October 28th, 2017, I was driving home um, from outside of our city limits. I live in a very small town of about 9,000, 10,000 people. And as I was driving, I came across some construction, lettuce semi in front of me, it's the Oklahoma way. Um, we all wave at stop signs and let each other cut each other off. That's just how we do it. And um, the car behind me started getting very close and driving very erratically. And I was, kind of took note of it, but kept on going. It got to the point where I decided to call my husband's work, knowing he wasn't on, but just saying that there was a driver on the road I was concerned about. And um, they transferred me over to the city police because by that point I was coming in to the city limits. And after I got off the phone with them, I called my husband and said, I'm headed home. Um, somebody I think is following me. And he said, well, you know, just let me know, let me know when you get closer to the house and I'll meet you outside. Surely they'll just drive on. The worst that's going to happen is they're going to give you some hand signals you don't like and go on down the road. And so as I got closer to home, I kind of took a weird way that I knew there was a lot of stop signs and I kept telling myself, okay, she's following me if she follows me through the stop sign. Okay, if she follows me through this stop sign. Okay, this one. And um, she kept following me. And I think most police wives know that, well, at least in smaller towns, the police officers do not hang out at the station. They're not gonna be there. That's maybe not the best place to go. So knowing my husband was home, I decided to go ahead and go home and I knew that he'd be there in case something happened and um, I pull in my driveway I'm fumbling around trying to get my garage door opener my phone anything just because I was so nervous and shaky and before I knew it the door of my car opened up and I got dragged out by my hair and I was laying on the ground and I was 10 weeks pregnant with my oldest we'd gone through fertility treatments and six years of trying for this precious little thing. And we had just told the entire world the week before that we were expecting. Um, and so I, I just kept thinking in my head, this is, this is not good. This is not good. Um, and she started kicking me and I just curled up in a tiny little ball trying to protect, um, at the time I didn't know his name would be Lincoln, but my Mr. Lincoln. And, um, I kept screaming to her, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. And she goes, I, I don't care with some more colorful language. And um, it felt like minutes, but it was probably about 20 seconds before my husband jumped outside with his gun and his badge and told her to stop and she would not. So he realized that there were three kids in the car and he holstered his weapon, jumped over me, 
which I'm sure was a sight. He's six foot seven <laughs> and um, went hands on with her. She ran back out of our driveway, back to the street where she had parked her car and blocked me in and um, was running around the car, just causing a huge scene. I somehow managed to find my cell phone underneath my car. I was still laying on the ground and just hit the redial button or hit a phone. I don't know who I was calling at that point, but I figured somebody would help me. And I had actually gotten a hold of my husband's work and had the phone on speaker. So they heard the entire thing of him trying to give her commands and her saying, I don't care that you're a cop. Um, and at that point I, I was very disoriented. I didn't know what was going on, but I, he, she was going for his gun and I had enough foresight to notice that. And so I kept telling him, please hurry. He's going, she's going for his gun. And thankfully there was some type of Halloween event going on at the park down the street from our house. And one of his coworkers was able to get there very quickly and help him cuff her up. And they got me off the ground, set me in my car, and my face started swelling to the point where I couldn't even write because I could not see. So I couldn't fill out a statement. And my husband said, we're not going by ambulance. We're going to just go to the hospital. I'm driving her. And so he did. We live very close. And we got there. And I was kind of just expecting some bruises or, you know, this to just kind of be nothing. You know, you don't really think anything bad's going to happen to you. And the doctor came in very concerned, and I just kept asking, what about my baby? Is my baby okay? And unfortunately, they don't deliver babies at our hospital, so they don't have any type of equipment anymore to really check on those babies. So they brought in a really old Doppler. They couldn't find the heartbeat. And I just, at that point, I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my only concern. And then I realized my face really, really hurt. And the doctor came in and made me go do a CAT scan. And my poor husband followed them all the way back there. And they wouldn't say anything otherwise that, you know, he he was going whether they said he could or not. Um, And after a few minutes, they uh, took me back to the room, finally found the heartbeat of Mr. Lincoln. Clearly, he's here and he's well. Um, But uh, the doctor came in very concerned and said, I need you to come follow me. I'm going to show you some images. and the orbital of my, well, my right eye was broken, um, leaving my eye to be able to sink down into that hole, um, which I don't know if anyone's broken that bone before. It's very thin. It's not hard to break, but it's very easy for that eye to, to sink into. And if that happens, there are a lot of bad things that can happen. You can lose vision, have all kinds of muscle issues, disfiguration. So at that point, what she did became a felony, um, and then she, you know, could not bond out for several days, so she was in, in jail for the weekend, and I immediately went into, like, PTSD, scared mode. Her family knew where I lived because they came to get her children, um, and I, you know, a mile a minute in my head, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. They were talking surgery, immediate surgery, taking me to another town to do that. And every question I asked was, I can't do that. What about my baby? And they just kind of ignored that. We have to take care of you. We have to take care of the infection that could set in. And I just said, no, we're not, we're not doing that until you can tell me the ramifications of this. So that was kind of the incident in a nutshell. There's a lot of emotion behind it. And I kind of try to talk around that because it is still raw. It's, 
something that I think will always be there. Um, but then the court process started, and I think that was probably more traumatic than the incident itself. Um, she was allowed out on bail to walk around freely. She would follow me around Walmart. Um, my family would be there with me, and she'd follow me around. Um, I'd be by myself. She'd follow me around and start cussing at me and try to hit me with her cart. Um, and none of that was dealt with. Um, we were basically told she'd have to do what she did or worse before stalking would be charged or, you know, I just have to deal with it. So um, the year came and went and she was still out. We still hadn't had trial. Um, we were approaching my son's first birthday and we finally had a jury trial set up and she decided to take a blind plea, which means the judge has all of the power in his hands. He has the power to uh, basically sentence her and decide if she's guilty or not. And the judge decided to give, we asked for four years in prison. She was facing um, five years for the charge against me and five for assault and battery on a peace officer because she did leave massive welts on the back of my husband's head from hitting him. And um, we asked for four years, knowing that she probably wouldn't get much time at all. She refused that from the offer from the state, and the judge sentenced her to nine years after almost two years of constant court dates, monthly. So after that first year came and went, we thought, this is time. It's finally going to happen. And I already had my, no, I was about to have my second child by the time she went to prison. So um, she's now in a women's prison in the state of Oklahoma serving nine years. It's not an 85% crime, so I don't know how long she'll be there. Um, I've gotten nasty Facebook messages from her family telling me that she's going to miss her oldest daughter's graduation. And I struggled really hard with that, um, thinking it was my fault, thinking it's my fault for pushing it this far, and then realizing finally that she had her own destiny in her hands when she chose to do this and I'm just so thankful that both of my children are here and that they're safe and that they're alive and I did not have to have surgery on my face so it all kind of worked out but it's still a very raw traumatic thing and people don't want to talk about it like you mentioned they think that it's their fault if I did something differently but I think it's really important to realize that the actions of someone else are on them not on you yeah, Samantha, that, that is such a, a powerful story, and I'm, that should not have happened to you, nor your husband, nor your son, and I'm so sorry you had to go through that, but I also want to share with you, I, I know how difficult it is to share a story like that, I'm so proud and so honored that you were willing to, and especially to get as detailed and really drawing us into what happened, and if it's okay, I just have one question, because sure. I'm just curious, did you know this woman at all beforehand? No, I never met her in my life. Um, we got two different stories as to why she did this. One, she said that I cut her off in traffic. Um, there were three cars. I don't know how trafficy it was, but the other was that she hated police officers and I had a sheriff's office tag on my car. I was driving my husband's, so. Hmm. Wow. Samantha, in, in listening to a story like that, if you, as you're listening to this, if, if any of this is, 
is cutting you to the core um, or if you have anything that resonates or is relatable with this story. Samantha, what advice would you give to other people who've experienced something similar in terms of a violent crime? Reach out to others. Their story's not gonna be the same as yours. They're gonna be able to comfort you and you them. And it's so important to feel like you're doing, at least for me, it was important for me to feel like I was changing something for other people that I was championing, championing something for other people. You know, in our county, they do not like to prosecute crimes. And if you're not on top of it 24 seven, they're probably gonna let it go. And I just couldn't sleep at night knowing that if I hadn't done something, the blood of her future victims could be on my hands. And I know that sounds super silly um, and over dramatic, maybe a little bit, but just do something for yourself and that, in this very small way, I was showing myself that I was stronger than what she did to me. And I think that if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be where I am right now in the process of rebuilding my confidence, rebuilding my social awareness. I don't think I'd be as okay as I am. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely shows your, your strength and your courage is truly admirable, Samantha. And I'm just, if there is anybody listening to this and they do feel like they're alone and they want somebody who can relate, are they allowed to contact you directly? Oh, please do. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm sure you can link, I don't know what people feel comfortable with, the Facebook message and email, and we can go from there with phone numbers or something like that. But don't be afraid to reach out. Um, nothing is too small. If it's something that bothers you or if it's something that has affected you, it's important. And your story might not seem as grand as mine or as drawn out as mine, but that doesn't discount what you went through. So please, yes, reach out. Beautiful. Yeah. And I hope as you listen to this, if, if this is something that sits with you, that you do allow yourself the grace to be able to communicate with somebody who can relate to your story, even if it isn't the same. And Samantha, I'm truly honored and thankful for you to have gotten so deep and vulnerable with us. And um, yeah, I will go ahead and end it here with just a big thanks to you. Thanks, Ashley.